Amen. Well, it's good to see you, church, and I'm eager to uh, dive into this text. It is a very rich portion of God's Word. You know, as I was thinking this week in preparation for this sermon, um, I think we could say undoubtedly that the two most prominent figures in Hebrews chapter 11, if not really, I mean, the whole, New Te- the whole Old Testament, would be Abraham and Moses. And we've just come off a section where God has, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, shown us five things that Abraham did by faith. And now we move into a section here on Moses, and we're going to see five things that Moses does by faith. So what happens here is now in this section of Hebrews 11, we're leaving behind Genesis and we're moving into Exodus, the period where Moses leads his people into the promised land. And today we pick up the story of Moses really before he was, uh, before he was in anybody, before he was famous, before anyone really knew him. We pick up this story. Now in all these sermons through Hebrews 11, we've been seeing the relationship between faith and obedience, which is a crucial relationship. We saw that in the life of Noah. I mean, because of faith, Noah actually cut down trees and he pulled out his hammer and he began going to work and he did so for 120 years. We talked about how unbelievable of a thing that is to continue on every day believing that I'm doing exactly what God has called me to do. And year after year, decade after decade, he continues on. We see the same thing with Abraham. He goes up to the place of sacrifice and altar, and he sacrifices his own son. You think, how can a man believe God for something like that? How can he believe that God would raise him from the dead, even if he were to sacrifice him? And now we see in Moses, Moses does some things by faith. Now, Moses was a great man. But the thing that makes Moses great is that Moses knew who he was and Moses knew what he believed. In fact, he was considered the number one figure in Israel's history, according to John chapter 8. The Pharisees themselves, they called themselves actually the disciples of Moses because of that. And because of this inclination to call themselves the disciples of Moses, we come now to this part of Hebrews 11 where The author to the Hebrews says, look, I think it's it's going to be really helpful to highlight the faith of Moses since his great aim as the author is to persuade Jewish Christians not to abandon Christ. Okay, so here's the thing. Right in the middle of all this persecution and suffering, he's pleading with them, do not, do not abandon Jesus Christ. And And he wants to show him Moses. Why? He wants to show him how Moses aligned himself with the people of God, even though it meant suffering for him. So, see, the argument kind of works like this. It goes, if Jewish Christians in the first century were interested in returning to Judaism and following Moses, then they would have to do so as Christians, not as Jews, since Moses aligned himself with Christ. Verse 26, so if Moses is your teacher, you want to be a disciple of Moses, Moses aligned himself with Christ. What do you do with that? You look right there at verse 26, you can see this is a very powerful argument. Now, there are four by faiths here in this text, and uh, actually all the way through verse 28. I'm going to take the first two, and then Pastor Mark is going to pick up uh, the next two. But let me set the context. This is a very familiar story to us. Moses was born to Jewish parents, and even though he was born to Jewish parents, uh, we are told that Pharaoh's daughter raised him. Pharaoh, what happened is, Pharaoh, out of fear, 
tried to kill all the Hebrew baby boys because in keeping with God's promise to Abraham, the Israelites were increasing like the sands of the seashore. So what happened was fundamentally is Pharaoh got concerned. These people are growing to a massive number. He says, actually, the book of Exodus opens this way. It says, look at the, Pharaoh says, look at the Israelite people. They are more numerous and stronger than we are. So Pharaoh here in his murderous lust for power, he makes an edict. And his command is this, all Jewish parents must throw their baby boys into the Nile to be drowned. But when Moses was born, you can imagine his parents refused to kill him. His parents refused to do this. Instead, they put him in a basket on the river. They trusted God to take care of Moses. And by doing that, they were disobeying the king's command and they were exercising great faith in God. And this is one of the most horrific moments of scripture. I mean, I don't think that I can characterize in words the horror that must have spread across Israel at this command from Pharaoh. It makes you shudder to think of innocent boys being thrown into an open river while they're crying for their mother to just throw them in. Can you imagine? Can you even wrap your head around that? And we are reminded in this passage that the world we live in is a dramatically broken place. We must not have unrealistic expectations. We live in a radically broken world. The shalom, the peace of God has been shattered by sin. In fact, some of our brothers and sisters right now in the world are facing unimaginable things. I mean, the atrocities that are occurring right now under the Islamic State bear witness to this. This same thing is happening. They are slaughtering children by the thousands. Now this morning, I want to show you some things in this text about the faith of Moses. And what we'll see is that Moses makes some choices. You know, as believers, we know that our lives are under the control of a sovereign God. The doctrine of the sovereignty of God is a very precious doctrine. And it teaches that nothing happens outside of the controlling influence of God. However, some people have taken that truth about God's sovereignty and they have tried to undermine other equally important truths in Scripture like human responsibility or the significance and the importance of our choices. And that's a mistake because we have responsibility. Make no mistake about that. Let me illustrate that. In Joshua chapter 24, Joshua stands on a hillside before the people of Israel. And here's what he says. He says, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers or the gods of the Amorites. But as for me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord, right? But he says, choose, choose this day. Or how about Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, where Moses stands And Moses says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Now, that sounds obvious to us, but I want to underscore the importance of this, the importance of our choices this morning, because that's what we see in the life of Moses. 
His faith in God caused him to make some important choices. In fact, in these verses, we see four choices. And I want to look at each. This is one of the most powerful things that a Christian does. We make choices. So today I want to talk about the power of choice and how to choose by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for bringing us here. Again, I want to just thank you for the privilege of teaching your word. What a joy it is to open the scriptures. What a joy it is to listen to your word. Thank you for these hungry people. Bless them this morning, I ask. Give them faith and encouragement and hope. And we seek that together now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Hebrews 11, starting in verse 23, it says this, By faith, when Moses was born, his parents hid him for three months because they saw the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. What an amazing story about how Moses' parents hid him. Now notice the phrase, it says here, by faith, Moses, when he was born. That's a little bit odd because what does it mean, Moses, by faith, when he was born? I mean, he's an infant. So it's not like Moses said, hey, stick me in a basket and I'm going to float down the river and I'll be at Pharaoh's house in no time. That's not what he's saying. He's a baby, so he doesn't get the credit for this. Who gets the credit for this faith? His parents. In fact, the next, the next phrase says his parents hid him for three months because they saw what? They saw that he was beautiful. Stephen actually picks up on this in Acts chapter 7. And he, Stephen says that he was lovely in the sight of God. So this means something more than the guy was handsome. There is something about the kid. There is something about the child. And I love that idea of a parent looking over their child and having a big vision for their kid. I mean, do you ever have dreams like that? Do you ever look over your children while they're sleeping and just imagine what could these kids do for the sake of God's kingdom? I love that. We should do that. I encourage you to do that, especially if your children are small. Well, whether Amron or Jochebed, which is Moses' parents, whether they knew that he was destined for greatness or not, they looked into the face of Moses, and here's what they saw. They saw the image of God. They looked at their child, and they saw the creative glory of God. They saw the majesty of what you and I see when we hold an infant in our hands, and suddenly you realize that this infant that I'm holding in my hands is a human being with a never dying soul that has been created by the hands of God and you're gripped by wonder at that moment. And here's the thing. Verse 23 says, They saw the child, that he was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And this is the first thing that we learned this morning. That faith chooses the fear of God over the fear of man. Faith chooses the fear of God over the fear of man. What did the king say? The edict of the king was kill your son or be killed. But they were not afraid. You say to me, Jonathan, yeah, but I mean, but what parent wouldn't do that? I mean, what parent would put their happiness, okay, at risk, wouldn't put their happiness at risk for the sake of their child? Well, sadly, I think the answer to that question is many. 
Many, many parents, even Christian parents, will not sacrifice their own happiness for the sake of their children. They will not sacrifice their comfort. They will not sacrifice their selfish desires for the sake of their children. Christian, even Christian parents all over America are happy to jeopardize their kids' eternity and soul, listen, on the altar of comfort. Don't believe me? Think about this. For fear of conflict, parents all the time put peace in their home above God's word. I'm not going to confront my kids about that. I'd rather have peace here. Or they put popularity and acceptance with their kids above God's ways. It's like some parents are competing with other parents for the cool parent contest. Who can be the coolest parent? And my kids like me, and I'm a cool mom, and I'm a cool dad, and I'm going to put God's word, I'm going to shelve it in order to be cool in the eyes of my kids. Or how about this one? Parents that put prominence in education and athletics above God's heart for their children. Now, I'm not opposed to education. I'm not opposed to athletics. I mean, obviously, I've done some of that. And and I want our kids to do well. I want my boys to excel. But listen, nothing, nothing ever, ever, ever at the expense of God's agenda for your kids ever. That's the issue. We put our kids at risk when we put them above God. Proverbs says the fear of man brings a snare. Don't be passive about your high school students' aloofness. Don't be passive about their vague answers when you question them. Probe them. Popularity and peace in your home as the sole focus. If that's your sole focus, everything might come crashing down on you later. Let's not be passive worldly parents. And to avoid that, we need faith in God. Parenting begins with a fear of the Lord. And I would ask you this morning, where does fear grip you? Perhaps you're timid and fearful about standing for your faith in the workplace. Perhaps you're concerned about, you know, your neighbor that has become angry with you and you don't want to be an agent of peace and reconciliation. And so afraid to have a conversation with with them, you stay behind the security of your fence. Or perhaps you're afraid that you'll be lonely the rest of your life. Maybe you'll never have a husband or a wife. You'll never have the joy of children and you're concerned about that. Whatever it is, listen, embrace the God of the Bible He is faithful to every one of his promises. He will meet all of your needs no matter what. The circumstances you face do not alter his character. The the situation you're in right now will not revise God's promises. So do not fear. Faith chooses the fear of God over the fear of man. Let's continue. Verse 24. By faith Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused. Notice the language here. This is the second thing we see. Faith chooses the future over the present. Faith chooses the future over the present. And what I mean is this, is that Moses, he had all the opportunities in the world right before him. He had everything right there at his fingertips to just grab. It's his. I mean, he is the, he's the grandson adopted in a Pharaoh. He's the greatest 
political figure in the era of the time. I mean, he's got everything he wants right there. For Moses, the choice was the Egyptian dream or a life of faith. But as we look at this text, what we see is that Moses is de- had already determined in his mind who he was and what he was. By faith, he chose to be a follower of God. Now, this text tells us in verse 24 that Moses grew up. And we know from, again, from Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verse 23, that this means that Moses at this time was 40 years old. Okay, so we're talking about a grown man here. He was raised in Pharaoh's home. That's what that means. So, I mean, from, the, from, the, from a little baby or a toddler, some scholars think by the time he was actually adopted, he was probably three, close to three. But from that moment all the way till he's 40, he is raised under an Egyptian system. This, this guy is in the, in the throes of Egypt in all of its ideology and its, and its worldliness and the whole thing. Stephen tells us he was educated in all the learning of Egypt. In other words, Moses was immersed in a pagan educational system that was contrary to everything his parents believed about God. Totally contrary. And as a member of the royal family, he would have received the best of the best in terms of education. He would have been trained in science. He would have been trained in geometry and various types of math. He would have been trained in language and in theology. He would have received what we call a classic liberal arts education. But also, he would have been steeped in pagan idolatry. He learned life from a pagan perspective. And he didn't even have the added benefit of attending the InterVarsity Fellowship on his campus. There was no such thing for him. So you have to appreciate the decision that is before Moses that he is faced with when he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You have to appreciate the choice before him. Here it is. Quite simply, the choice is power, pleasure, riches, the Egyptian dream on the one hand, or association with an oppressed people, poverty, slavery, and an invisible God that I cannot see that just makes promises. This is the, this is the staggering weight of what's before him, and, and that was his choice. You see, Moses at some point in his life had to make up his mind clearly and decisively who he was and what he was. Would he choose to be rich? Would he choose to be the educated grandson of Pharaoh? Or would he choose to be a man of faith? Now understand this. Especially if you're a teenager or a young adult. His choice to be either an Egyptian or an Israelite was a choice of opposites. All right. I mean, in other words, he could not be both. He had to choose one over the other. There was no middle ground. And the reason that's so important is because we live in a culture that tells us the opposite. It tells us that you can have both, that you can capitulate, that you can be a follower of Jesus and live in sin, that you can be a, that you can be a member of a church and you can walk in sin. And we're saying that the Bible never anywhere says that. When we follow Jesus, we take a stand. We are following Christ. Okay, so, so we, don't get the, we don't get the freedom and liberty to live any old way we want. And, and our culture, listen, is hammering this into the kids of our society. It's the doctrine that gets pumped in and pumped in and pumped in. And if you don't believe it, well, you're just not tolerant. If you don't believe it, then, then man, you're just a bigot. But look, let's, let's be clear about something. God is crystal clear here. And Moses understands that there's no middle ground He understands this. 
When it comes to issues of sin or a clear violation of God's word that you can't have it both ways. So the text tells us by faith he refused. That word is he renounced. That word means that it's the same word that's used. You know, when Jesus says, uh, deny yourself and take up your cross. William Taylor puts it like this. He says, Moses came to a point where he denied himself. And in Christ-like self-denial, he made the decision to be a man of God. Now, the force. I, I, just, I just appreciate the force of Moses' dilemma. Because, let me, add a, let me add another layer here, okay? Don't you think it would have been so easy for Moses to kind of justify staying in Egypt? I mean, didn't Pastor Ted just preach on Joseph? And where was Joseph? He was in Egypt. And who was he under? Pharaoh. And so, like, he's already got an example of a guy that went before him and did that. And God called him into it. And so, you can just imagine all the arguments that come to his mind now, you know, like... He could say, you know, I I could do a lot of good here. I could remain the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, I could do a lot of good for my people if I stay here. I could use my position and my power to influence Israel for good. And, you know, Joseph was high up in Pharaoh's court. And look how God used him. And besides, providence, providence seems to have directed me here. And I didn't ask to come here. God put me here and it just kind of fell in my lap. So, therefore, God surely wants me to stay here in Egypt. Isn't that how our mind works? We are self-deceivers by nature. How often do people use providence as an excuse? You know, God put me here. He must want me to do this. Friends, that is no way to determine God's will. The, The ready way is not always the right way. The the ready way is not always the right way. The ready way is not always the right way. That's not how Moses reasoned. There was something inside him that would not allow him to make such a compromise of conscience. Moses chose a hard path. And please understand, Moses doesn't choose this path because he's some kind of masochist who enjoys pain. He chose it because it honored God. But here's the question. Where did Moses get the courage and conviction to deny himself so much pleasure? The answer is simple. He was driven by faith. Faith chooses the future over the present. It rests in the unseen promises of God. Third, faith chooses holiness Overworldliness. Verse 25. He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now notice the choice here. This is kind of stark. It's stunning. Moses chose to be mistreated rather than the enjoyment of sin. What in the world was Moses thinking? His friends must have been like, what are you doing, man? Like, you're not going over there, are you, to the... You're not going to... Wait, you're going to walk... These guys are slaves. We drive them every day here in in Egypt and make them do stuff for us. And they've built this empire for us. And you're going to walk into that and be a slave with these guys? 
What are you doing? What's wrong with you? And back to the club, man. Back to the champagne and caviar. Woo, let's go. And Moses is determined. Moses is like, no. No, 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 no. This is not what I want. I don't want this party atmosphere. I don't want this, these riches. I don't want, no. And he walks away. And you know, and I'm sure at times he doubted. He's a human being. He must have doubted. But notice another word here, verse 25. It says, Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. The New American Standard Bible says the passing pleasures of sin. In other words, it's temporary. That's, it's the opposite of eternal. And Moses understood that. Now, that's the essence of faith. And every day... You and I are making choices about following God's ways or following the flesh. Pursuing holiness is hard. Isn't it hard? Pursuing holiness is hard. It's difficult. Worldliness is easy. You just get up and just don't think and you'll pursue worldliness. But holiness requires effort. Here's the thing. If you choose holiness, when's it going to be hard? Right now. Right now, it's going to be hard. Holiness makes some sacrifices. It says, I'm not going to that club. I'm not going for popularity. I'm not going to her house. I'm not going to text him. I'm not going to pursue that lifestyle. Those are some hard choices. But worldliness, on the other hand, is easy. It says, I I don't want to give up my sin. I want what I want right now because this is good. And man, it just feels right. And I want to be happy right now. And let's live for the, for the moment. Let's live for the moment. Let's live for the fleeting pleasures of sin. And how long does that last? Not long. It's here and gone, friends. You know, there's a principle that I try to live my life by. I don't know where I first heard this, but it really resonated with me. And it's called the easy, hard, hard, easy principle. What it essentially teaches is this, is that when you're young, listen, young people, if you're here, listen. When you're young, if you take it easy now... Loaf around, have fun, play around, take it easy now. You're going to have it hard later. Or if you go hard now and work your tail off and try to be somebody and be successful and do something significant in life, you'll have it easy later. Now, that's a secular principle. But there's the way that we can apply that spiritually. Faith says, I'm not going to be about the next 10 minutes or even the next 10 weeks. I'm going to make some choices. And, and how good is it for some of, some of you students to hear this this morning? Listen, listen, young, the young person. Self-gratifying choices that make you happy now will put you in a world of pain later. True or false, parents? In a world of hurt, pleasure for a moment and pain and heartache for a lifetime. 
I know people in this room right now who made a decision on a Friday night and 20 years later, they are still suffering the consequences of that decision. And I know other people who made a bunch of right and wise choices and they're living in the good of that today. You say, but, but, but does God see me, you know, when I'm making hard decisions, when I'm denying my flesh, it's so hard. And every day getting up and trying to pray and read the Bible and it's just, you know, and I'm just slugging through every day. Does God see that? Yes. But I mean, well, I mean, will God bless me for that? Yes. When, when's God going to bless me for that? Soon. Very soon. You just keep your eyes focused on the Lord. You just keep walking by faith. Do not compromise God's word. If it gets hard, let it be hard. But preach to yourself every day and say, let it be hard for a while, but I'm walking with God. Every day. All right? So now here's the thing. I'm, I'm just thinking, all right, this, this struggle of obedience is very difficult for us. And we all struggle with sin. So the question that I was sort of thinking through this week was, how do we learn how to cultivate gospel obedience? What are some ways that we can grow in holiness? Well, first of all, there's no magic bullet. I mean, if I had that, I would be a best-selling author. Uh, But there is nothing. There's no, like, if you just do this, you're good. But there are some practical steps that we can take. And uh, I was thinking of four things this week. And I kind of want to give it to you in 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 a little acronym. You think about the word track, T-R-A-C, we'll leave the K off, T-R-A-C, keep your feet on the track, all right? Here's, here's what I want to give you, trust, T, trust. A Christian's chief work is to trust. It means every day we need to renew our faith in God's promises every single day. Galatians 2.20 says, I no longer live But Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if that's what my life is about, if it's a life of faith, then every single day I must renew and strengthen my faith in the promises of God. Trust. All right? How about R? T-R. R stands for read. And then I'm going to throw some other words behind it. Read, meditate, memorize, pray. Basically, Bible study. Prayer and Bible study. All right? It's simple, but to do that daily is a flesh-withering discipline. It requires work. It requires consistency. But oh, how vital it is. So if you're struggling with sin, what you do is you take God's word out, you meditate on it, you memorize it, and you fight. You say, I'm going to take the word of God and I'm going to wield it. I'm like a sword, like the sword of the spirit. And I'm going to fight against the proclivities of my flesh, my laziness or whatever it is that is, is, is getting you at the moment. I'm going to fight it by the word of God. I'm lazy. So I'm going to go to Proverbs. I'm going to read about the ant. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. And I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to memorize it. I'm going to fight. You know, how much time, I was thinking about it, how much time do I spend, this was such a convicting thought, how much time do I spend in the word and prayer over areas of specific disobedience in my life? Or flip it, how much time do I spend in the word and prayer over particular areas or graces that I want to cultivate that I don't have? So like if I'm not, if I struggle at being compassionate or loving, maybe I need to hang out in some text of scripture and just stay there and pray and meditate and ask God to change me. 
and to make me new. All right, T-R, how about A? A, acknowledge. Every day, acknowledge your great need for God by reflecting on the gospel. Paul says, I never boast about anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. For Paul, the cross is planted dead center in his life. Stay near the cross, friends. Stay near the cross. Stay close to the fountain that is open for cleansing. That's where you find hope and help and nourishment and strength and joy and vitality and life every day. Stay close to there. There you will find forgiveness. Eric Grover says in his song, tie me to the rock unchanging. Tie me to his wondrous cross. All right. And fourth, C, T-R-A-C. C is conscience. We don't often think about the conscience, but we must keep a good conscience. Paul says in Acts twenty four sixteen, I always do my best to have a clear conscience toward God and men. See, one of the ways that we cultivate gospel obedience is to make sure that we maintain a good conscience. In other words, keep short accounts with God and others. Little, little nagging areas of disobedience in your life will sabotage your pursuit of godliness. So keep a clean conscience. Don't let the weeds in your spiritual garden grow up to a place where it's like, how do I even deal with this now? There's so many weeds here. You've got to keep those things cut down and cut low. You've got to keep a clean conscience. Now, here's the gospel hope, okay? Remember that God will give you the grace that you need to obey him. Be confident in God. We're not trusting in our own ability, but God who promised these things will bring it to pass. Take his promises, sign your name to it, give them back to God. And since God has promised you help, expect him to move. Pray like this. Pray, pray something like this. Pray, Lord, you actually said in the new covenant that you would put your spirit in me and you would cause me to walk in your ways for your name's sake. And since I know that you value your reputation, God, I pray that you will cause me to walk in your ways today. Give me a heart that longs for obedience and then give me a will that's determined to obey and then give me a mind that's filled with the word of God. Do for me what you have promised for Jesus' sake. Pray that way. Pray boldly. Come before God. Expect him to move on your behalf. Friends, this is the life of faith. And it chooses holiness over worldliness. And finally, here's the last faith choice that Moses made. Faith chooses reproach over riches. Verse 26, Moses considered abuse, another word for reproach, Abuse suffered for Christ to be greater wealth in the treasures of Egypt. I mean, did, I, did we read that right? He chose abuse and he considered that greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. The word reproach means to suffer unjustified abuse. It means scorn, it's ridicule, it's insults. But listen, Moses considered that to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. You know what he did? He did some reasoning in his mind, some faith reasoning. He did some calculations. This is not an off-the-cuff deal for him. All right? This is not spur of the moment. Let, let's all try something for a minute. Take a moment here. All right? And everybody in here right now, think about this question. Engage your mind with me, okay? Let's do this. Engage your mind. Here we go. Think about this question. Is the reproach of Christ... Is the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of this world? Think about it yourself. Is sharing in the sufferings of Christ, is that a better move in the big picture than living for the treasures and the stuff 
of this world. Weigh it out. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Jesus said, Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. You say, how did Moses do this? Especially when he was raised in a pagan, idolatrous nation. How did he get the strength like this and the resolve to do this? Well, Look at, the, look at the word here in verse 26. Look at the word reward. That's what enabled Moses to do this. He was looking to the reward. He fixed his eyes on the reward. He understood the difference between the temporary and the eternal. And oh, how that would help so many of us this morning if we could just understand the difference between the temporary and the eternal. Wouldn't that be a great way to meditate every day? Get up in the morning and say, okay, here's the temporary things that I'm doing today. Here's the eternal things. And, you know, I'm setting my mind. I'm setting my heart. I'm setting my whole perspective on what is eternal. Let's do that, church. Let's do that. Let's be eternal people. Let's have that perspective. So that's what Moses did. He understood the difference between the temporary and the eternal. And that's the whole thing about faith. Whatever happened to the concept of delayed gratification? Jot, jot these words down as an action item. Delay gratification. How about that as a plan for this week? Let's delay some gratification. That's the heart of faith. It says, man, I don't have to have all of it right now because my reward is coming. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, The mind has not imagined all that God has prepared for those who love him. We read that in God's word. Well, we've seen the faith of Moses. His faith chose the fear of God over the fear of man. His faith chose the future over the present. His faith chose holiness over worldliness and reproach over riches. This this is the life of faith. Moses renounced the world. And I was thinking about what a great man Moses is to renounce the world. And yet, do you realize that all this pales in comparison to the sacrifice that Jesus made? I mean, it's true that Moses relinquished the glory of this world. It's true that he did that in order that he might identify with and deliver an enslaved people. It's true that Moses became poor so that others might become rich. But when we come to the greater Moses... Jesus Christ, what do we discover? We see that he turned his back, not on worldly treasure, but on the eternal glories of heaven that were rightfully his. He consciously laid aside his royal, godly, uh, heavenly uh, address and and, and all that was his, that was rightfully his, the glories of heaven, his royal robes. And he took the form of the lowliest kind of servant, The worst kind of servant. And he chose mistreatment. This is God, friends. This is God. He chose mistreatment. He identified with a sinful, sick, polluted world that we live in. And he chose mistreatment. He chose disgrace. He chose the reproach, not of man, but of the cross. Which is far greater because he was fixed on the promise of his reward. And what was his reward? His reward was resurrection from the dead. His reward was the salvation of a multitude of people by which we are brought in and ushered into that multitude. Praise God. 
And and Jesus looks upon you and he says, you are my reward. Like the reason why I chose mistreatment and chose to suffer and chose all these things is because Heritage Baptist Church and all these people here that I died for, you're part of my reward. And I love you like crazy. Do you feel his love this morning? He's thrilled with you. You're his child. You're adopted into his family. You say, I'm gross, Pastor Jonathan. I'm full of sin. I know, but you know what? It's been washed in Jesus' name and in his blood. And he loves you. And you're his. And you're part of his reward. And he's rejoicing in you this morning. How sullen and melancholy and depressed we are so often. And Jesus is up there in in heaven and he's thrilled. He's thrilled over you. He's thrilled because he won you. He captured your heart and you're his. This is Christ. So I, I don't leave you this morning with a faith of Moses. I call you to an infinitely greater model, the faith of Jesus Christ, who by his faith secured salvation for all who would place their confidence in him. Listen, I push you where the writer of Hebrews pushes us in the next chapter, in chapter 12, when he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who, listen, for the joy set before him endured the cross. And friends, to see Jesus like that empowers you to not only deny yourself, but to say yes to the hard things God calls you to. John Piper puts it this way. He says, faith is a hunger for God that triumphs over our hunger for the pleasures of this world. Hear me. One of the reasons... Some of you are in such deep bondage to the stuff of this world. It's because you don't have anything to take its place. You know what I'm saying? So like it's every day you're going after something else and something else and something else to try to help you through it. In in 1840, a, a Scotsman by the name of Thomas Chalmers preached a sermon called the Expulsive power of a new affection. And in that sermon, he says that in order to expel our love for the world, we have to find something better than the world to love. And that something is Jesus Christ, our everlasting inheritance. And until you realize that Jesus is better, you're going to think that the passing pleasures of sin are going to do it for you. But they won't. And you'll discover at some point that they didn't work, and you'll look for something else and something else and something else. And all the while, listen, right here in the pages of Holy Scripture, we have a man who had enough faith to say, I'm casting my lot with the people of God. 
I'm banking all my hope on this God who has given me a heaven of promises. I'm going to live for the glory of his son and upon myself, take upon myself whatever loss I suffer. Because in the end, I will gain Christ and Christ is all. Friend, this is a greater treasure, a more lasting reward, a more satisfying happiness. And, and, and it's all found in pursuing Jesus. And it's greater and more satisfying and happier than anything the rest of this world and Egypt can offer. And faith says, I see that, I embrace that, and I will live for that. Let's do that by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Man, it is, God, it's so correcting to us to read this stuff and realize we're just out of control, jacked up. We need so much help. But thank you for the correction of your word. Lord, as we turn and watch now Harrison be baptized, we're, we're just thrilled that we can see a young man who's already making that choice. And we praise you for that. We celebrate that together in Jesus' name. Amen.